I really like this term post-purchase experience, which is to me, it's like, okay, so what can I do with the garment? Okay, yeah, I can wear it, get it. Okay, but what are the other things that you can really kind of inject into a buying experience after you actually pay the money? And I think there's like a lot of ways to innovate on that. And that's not just displaying something in a digital closet. Of course, that's access. Of course, that's airdrop. Uh, you know, of course, that's all the stuff that we've seen. But there's so much more to do there. And that's what will make someone want to buy. It won't just be the purchase experience. Oh, my gosh, I went to the beautiful store and the service was incredible. But it's what you get afterwards, too. I think that we will see some massive announcements of big Web2 games adding in components of Web3, whether that's NFTs or token ecosystems. Uh, and we'll see some really big Web2 hires of big games come into and support Web3 games. 100 NFTs and all my crypto is green. I'm watching Gary V on TV. What do you mean? She wear Gucci and Louis, but her favorite Celine. My old school is old, but I keep that shit clean. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Curated by Quantstamp. On today's show, we have Blake Finucane, who runs an NFT fund in the venture division for Pluto Digital, also known as Emergent Entertainment. Back in 2018, Blake wrote one of the first master thesis on how blockchain technology and cryptocurrency can be applied to the art world, which generated international interest and acclaim. We spoke a lot about how she approaches investing in NFT projects through deep research, the Blur versus OpenSea debate, Yuga's execution with Dookie Dash and bringing gamers in the ecosystem, how the fashion world and brands like Gucci are going about Web3 activations and marketing, as well as our own podcast context. We hope you guys enjoy the show. Okay, well, thank you, Blake, for coming back on our show from our Curated 5 and now to our long form. So first, for our viewers who did not watch the Curated 5, can you give us a bit about your background and history? It's a very unique journey that you've taken to get where you are now. Yeah, it has been long winding. Um, thank you guys so much for having me on. Um, I feel like I've met two new friends and it's so hard to be like legit NFT people in this world. Um, a lot of people say they are, but you guys are actually in it. So it's just it's really nice to chat um, and talk through all our ideas. Um, yeah, so my background is in 2016, I started my uh, MA in art history and I knew at that point that I was really interested in Bitcoin. At that time, that was really the, the crypto industry was really Bitcoin. Um, and I saw that there was maybe opportunities to do some really unique technical things to support artists. Um, so I pitched my thesis advisor saying, hey, can I write about art and Bitcoin? Is this possible? Uh, what can I do here? Um, so I was lucky enough that she okayed me on that. And I started studying. There was obviously no real research. I kind of just made it up myself. Um, when I published my master's degree in um, 2018, it ended up being like the first ever um, academic thesis really on crypto art where I tried to historicize um, and, and argue for the importance of basically this technology um, and what it can serve and how it can help artists. Um, whether that's through provenance, whether that's through royalties, which is obviously something that is quite fraught at the moment, but um, which again, you know, it's just interesting that those kind of questions are coming up and being challenged now because I think that's one of the real value propositions of this technology is artist royalties and supporting artists. Um, but 
yeah, after that, um, it was when I published it, um, I started kind of getting um, calls uh, from computer scientists or mathematicians. Um, no one really from the art world, because still at that time, everyone was like, what's going on? Um, and I started lecturing um, at universities um, about kind of the history of art and, and um, technology and, and how it can be, um, how we can use history to kind of prove the importance of this technology now, this technology being at, the, at that point, NFTs had been quote unquote like invented. Um, and um, from there, I uh, started working in investment banking. And about two years ago, I got a call from a fund in the UK. Now we're called Emergent Entertainment after um, several kind of um, um, iterations and, and um, basically started running an NFT fund, um, which has been amazing, a dream come true. Um, and also now actually building a Web3 MMORPG called Resurgence. We just released on IMAX. Um, we have an amazing NFT and, a, and, a, and an ecosystem I'm building out there too. So lots of learning being a builder then applied to the investment side. I got a question. Like, I think a lot of people who are probably listening, building in the space or are just in the space trading or learning or whatever, how did the investment fund or the, the group, sorry, was able to find you because I think a lot of people might be thinking, well, how do I, you know, how do I get into these situations, right? So was it something that you wrote art? They read your article. Was it something that you were, like, you know, just being in communities, chatting a lot and making connections? Like, where was the networking happen that made you that made made them find you? I think that's such a good question because yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure you guys hear this too. There's so many people that want to get into crypto and it's so intimidating and so kind of opaque in terms of how you navigate it. Um, how it happened is I was actually kind of poking around here and there in 2017 during the height of the 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 bull at you know the 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 first big bull run um, or that really I think was the 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 major catalyst and onwarder to what we see today um, and I met um, someone basically it was one of my family friends who said oh I know this guy in NFTs. Um, I know this guy into crypto, you know, I'm sure you guys, you know, your family's like, oh, this person into crypto, you should meet. It's like, just that's, that's too broad of a term and who knows what into crypto really means. Um, but I got introduced to this, this person in the UK and I was like, what's going on? And we talked briefly in, in 2017 about crypto and he ended up actually being a very successful, um, kind of, uh, person in the UK and he was the one that had manned this fund in um, 2021, 20, late 2020. And he was the one that actually came to me. So it took three years, almost three and a half years after an intro to have that wow. convert into a job in crypto. And wow. and during that time, of course, I was lecturing. I was writing articles. Uh, I was investing personally with the little money that I had at that time to do so. Um, so it took a while, obviously, for it to convert, but yeah, it, it finally did. But I was working the whole time to the background too. You were you were working on yourself and getting better, and also I'm sure, like for him exactly. as well, with his own money and he had or the fund money, he had to make yeah. sure the market was there, right? So exactly. once the market and, and start thinking about people, you know, yep, totally. And I mean, also at that time, it was a really different environment. You know, if you were into crypto, yeah. Uh, late 2020 early 2021 and you had any type of background in it people were immediately interested in you obviously mm. now it is a bit different two years down the road you know it's way easier to buy and sell it's way easier to you know people understand you just kind of get a twitter account and start 
um, going around. So I do acknowledge certainly at that time it was easier to like have if if anyone had any type of expertise, you stood out a bit more. Obviously, than now when right. it's just way more competitive. That makes a lot of sense. Like with the yeah. emergence of wallets and all. That. Yeah, makes you sense. Know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say like a similar, not so similar, but just in terms of like timeline, I trace back to you know get, get, getting my role at Quantstaff for NFTs yes. from 2018 and and the last bear market. It ultimately from the when, when everyone left in let's say the January 2018, early 2018, yeah, I stayed just as engaged in 2017, and I'm like emailing people, I'm making all these connections, I'm, I'm going to these events that no one's going to. And through these networking and meeting people, right. and then also just staying involved in NFTs, like you said, come late 2020, early 2021, all of a sudden everyone wants, everyone's like, oh my God, this person knows so much about NFTs, like come come help me, come work for me, et cetera. So if, if you're not like a programmer or like a, a lawyer, it's it's really just putting in the time and, and to, yeah. to, get, to get to where you want to be. You know, and putting yourself out there in like whatever ways you feel comfortable, because even for me now, I'm still like tweeting is not the way that I feel most like that doesn't come as easy to me as, you know, talking on a podcast or talking to people in real life. Like, so it's like pick your spots as to how, how you yeah. can do it. Did you guys for your job, did you guys apply? Did they come to you or how did the Quantstown NFT fund kind of come together? I had met um the founder through like cool. I my, like a timeline of connections and yeah. then it was like, that was like a combination of like good timing. And then I was, and then we were like, okay, let's, let's find another person or two to bring on. And that's how we, um, cool. and then actually, I think Sabby reached out. Yeah. I'm, so for me, it was, <laughs> Love it. it was actually pretty interesting because I saw a, yeah. I saw a Twitter. Uh, so I'm same as you, by the way. I absolutely yeah. don't like, like chatting on Twitter. I'm, I'm a lurker. All right. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah, just like yeah. a like and leave, you know, yeah, like like a yeah. tweet, maybe retweet, then I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I'm not even a like person. I'm like, like look <laughs> okay. around and I'm like, I'm like reading. Yeah. It's all I do, even a Discord. Yeah. So I'm not like a participant, but but I saw Tyler's tweet um, just oh, on my okay. on my feed. Because I had I, said, I, I was yeah. like, we're hiring people. I told Klaus, I'm like, if we want to find people, you can't just put it online. You have to tweet something. Like that's where all the traders are, all the people that the NFT people we want to find. Yeah, and I They're was like looking for it. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. I was looking for like alpha because it was like right before the market had kind of gone crazy. Or actually, it was after apes. Either way, uh, yeah, it was after. Uh, so it was about like summer. Um, so market was great, right? And, and so I was like, kind of looking for just reading and looking for alpha, or whatever. And and I saw Tyler's tweet, and it was basically uh, retweeted by Quantstamp. And I remember Quantstamp was a Y Combinator company, and I went through YC. Um, and oh, so. Okay. Love yeah, it. so the way that they they have a database where every founder has every founder's email, so I so I just sent an email to Rich, and I always do that. I've in the past I've sent an email to the founder of DoorDash, like when they came to Canada. I always do that where Love I would like, it. and always they would, it would it would it would usually go down to the person next, but it comes from the founder, so it's always like a good you know like a a good boost in that way. But Richard responded with Tyler, and and the interview happened, and it was it was awesome. I, I got uh, off lucky though. I've I've heard the other guys and who got hired, they were grilled. And I was just like, "Hey, cool." <laughs> so that was kind of you just you just charmed your way into it, you know, yeah. which I love. One thing that we did, I was like, when I tweeted out, I was like, "Send me like your NFT, your story, your journey," because I knew yeah. within two seconds of reading if you were kind of what we were looking for or not. And what Savvy did yeah. differently is he sent us a video, and we really 
it was just something completely different than everyone else did. So that really stuck out to us. I think it's an interesting lesson here. Um, and this is something that one of my um, uh, really good friends and uh, and like, let's say like a, like a, I won't call it like a, like a mentor to say that, right? So, and something he taught me, this is like about four years ago or five years ago, I, I reached out to him. I was like kind of changing paths from startups to kind of going in a different direction. And I asked him, I'm like, oh, he's a big, big, um, let's call it like a info product, um, like a titan, right? He's done multiple 10 million plus info products. And so I asked him, I'm like, uh, I'm like, I want to kind of, you know, get into the game or like, you know, get into more like online business game. And so uh, move away from startups. And, yeah. and he had this amazing advice. And he said, well, basically, if you want to teach people something, spend two years getting really, really good at it, become uh, like a, like a, like, you know, a prominent player, like you first get your knowledge to the point where you're like an expert in that. And usually it takes about two years of like constant learning. And then you can kind of teach that to people who are below you who are trying to get up to your level, right? And I thought that was really fascinating. And that kind of ties into what you said, if you think about it, right? For all of us, it was like a couple of years of like kind of learning the space, getting better exactly. understanding. And then when you're at that level, then you are talking to people who who want, who have companies and who want to like build this thing, but they don't, have, they, they don't have enough time and they want people like who are experts in that particular thing. I thought that was a very beautifully put advice. Um, and I think that kind of exactly. ties into like all of our stories here a little bit. Yeah, totally. And I, I noticed too, it's like, you know, being able to be wrong and adjust from the information and, and take that in and not get too down. It's like a yeah. thing that's been big for me. Amazing. Um, yeah. Let's talk about allocation because you just mentioned, you know, allocation of the funds. So how do you think about allocating resources to different categories? What And yeah, also, general, think, and also yeah. general thesis, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I think that what I've always... I've I've tried to because the fund is small. It's really just me. I have someone now um, who supports me on it as well. But um, what are my strengths? So my strength is not being a trader. So I know that what I'm going to be looking to do then is make sure that every project that I go into, I'm not going to be looking for quick flips because I don't think that that's what I'm best at. I don't think I'm best at snap decision making. I think I'm absolutely um, kind of like a standout around like research is a really big one for me. So um making sure that i'm very well researched that if anyone challenges me on a project i can be hey these are the four reasons why or these are the five reasons why i think it's going to be valuable in 18 months and you know in nfts it's hard to look farther than 18 months that that was a relatively arbitrary amount of time i just thought like what i want to keep this in five years is too long because everything changes in you know two weeks in nfts so Okay, an 18-month timeline, I've kind of considered that a quote-unquote long-term investment. Um, and that means that I'm not going to be looking to trade um, out of things. And I'm looking at the team, most of all. Um, I think that that's what's going to carry people through the bull and the bear. It's it's always going to be the team and if they're continuing to build. Um, so I, I haven't really looked at allocation in terms of I want... 20% in art, I want 20% in gaming, I want 20% in virtual real estate or whatever it is. I've kind of thought in it, what do I want to hold within 18 months and why? And can I, if if there's big ups, okay, uh, maybe we can look at selling and, you know, taking capital out um, off the table. But normally it's been um, kind of that, that I always work long term. Um, and 
it recently I've been trying to allocate a little bit more to gaming projects just because I think they're so exciting. But I also just move with my interests. If I say, hey, like there's some generative art that looks really interesting, or I'm seeing that this artist has really popped up, then you know, I'm I'm kind of open to all kind of things in the NFT world, depending on where I think um I, I'm most excited or if I can genuinely see it long term. So it, it sounds like you're not looking for like a project that's coming out and for you to mint it that second as much as like something that, drops yeah. and you're researching, you're going to do all your research and yeah. then make a smart secondary buy. Yeah. And even that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a good distinction. And I think too, with that, um, I'd almost rather buy it for double the mint price or triple the mint price. If I'm very confident in it, than kind and- of take a risk immediately on it. So I'd, I'd, way rather have it drop and see than kind of take that risk and not know the team i don't know if you guys if you guys have a way that you construct it construct it where you want to have like you have market segments and you're very organized around it in that way or it's more a general thesis and you try to kind of fit underneath kind of whatever works in that way personally so we we kind of yeah. created like separately right so we have like our own kind of right quality, but but mm-hmm. uh, so i can answer for myself i think in the bull market it was just so fast that you just didn't have yeah. time to do that, right? You're right. Uh, yeah, right. Now, yeah. Um, just in general, I'm, I was actually thinking about this last night. In general, even with like my own investments uh, and obviously companies' investments, I'm starting to think more like that. Where I'm trying to like you know put it on sheets and like structure it and like okay, well, what's like, you know how? Because I mean, it's so crazy. I was thinking about this. Like, there is so much happening. You create so many different wallets because you know you don't want to get you know. As I was doing taxes, I'm like, I gotta put all this in uh, one sheet and like really look at it and like be more smart about it like where how am i allocating it uh, am i am i on too risky on one side or whatnot right so so the answer to that question is um that's how it should be it just got so crazy in the bull market where you didn't want to miss out on the gains so it's all about like mm-hmm. let's go and like you know fast paced trading but uh yeah. but we're kind of structuring it that uh, now so we're ready for the next cycle and we're actually yeah positioned better yeah and i think one one way because like you said you're alone but we have a few other people so we kind of Which looked nice. for all different things so we have there's there's someone else who's like he's much um, more like focused on art specifically i'm having like a really keen eye it. for art i know about the artists and even stuff on tezos and cross chain and then what we liked about savvy is that like you know and when apes came out at first i like faded apes i was like fading v friends all that stuff and then when we met savvy he was like oh i love you know i got right to apes i got into v friends and i was like okay i want someone who's thinking the complete opposite of how i'm thinking on my team as well and that, as, and so we that. just kind of like we're filling in all the gaps, you know, where that was kind of, you know, I, I wanted to be challenged. So we wanted to be challenged and not have one way of thinking. Yeah, that's really smart. And I mean, too, I think that there's certain like I find digital real estate in general, kind of the virtual land side, um, really hard to value and, and really hard to stay on top of. Because it's not only like a, a, a ecosystem, like a virtual land ecosystem play, but then it's where your land is. It's kind of like the rarity um, system becomes like super complicated. So for me, I've kind of stayed away from virtual land because I just, I, I feel like it's its own specialty right. that kind of sits apart from, um, I mean, art you could say as well as its own specialty, but, and then NFT projects, PFDs in its own and yep. gaming in its own, but virtual land for me i've been like i'd love to but i just don't have that insight and i don't think i have the interest maybe or the time to to do that so it's like nice that you guys can segment out 
because yeah, I, I find a lot of them take specialized knowledge even within the NFT world. Yeah, which is actually an interesting follow up here because you just said uh, in the previous question that like you know you think from an eighteen month perspective, like long term. Mm -hmm. Um, as of right now, how are you looking at that? Like, what's your eighteen month thesis right now? That's a great question. Um, I haven't really purchased much that's new. I've really, I, I mean, classic. I've you guys are nodding your heads because of like I know you guys like get it, but I've been I've been really just I'm like okay, yeah. There's apes, you know, as you guys said. There's moonbirds there's um you know fidenzas and ringers the real real top tier stuff mm -hmm. um particularly when there's so much change okay blur's coming out what are artist royalties open seas you know changing and um when when the whole kind of structure and belief system i think of like what the nft world has been built upon with these marketplace wars it's like you just have to lean back into the the top projects you know um yep. the ones that have that are that are quote unquote historical ie you know had basically all been released yep. within the last two years um because because those you know are going to be around long term another interesting thing was uh so we had tom billy on the show and he said something very fascinating cool. and and he said he said that um he was really because he had mark zuckerberg on the show and we asked him like so what was the conversation with about metaverse with zuck right like what was something that you learned and he said that i don't know the guy right but one thing that i really like is that he's spending the the 10 15 billion dollars um on the metaverse right um okay. a year i think it's like 25 billion now something like that crazy that they're spending crazy. and he's like the people don't realize somebody's got to set up send spend money on that infrastructure right and this kind of goes back to what you were saying before which I, at least for me i don't think i've done enough homework on the technical side to understand what is all needed to build like what we're thinking okay. about you know what that what the end user experience looks looks like because we don't know what's going on behind the scenes with respect to um, the infrastructure, right? So, because when these huge companies like Decentraland and Sandbox, they have so much freaking money. And if they're not able to build an experience, um, that tells me that that inflation might just not be there right now. Um, yeah. yeah, what are you talking about on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's always an infrastructure issue. Um, I think that's the same with gaming. And infrastructure, to me, is can be considered a part of onboarding uh in the way that just like user experience and making it easy for people and fun for people to be in these spaces like answering the why am i here you know yeah. um and if it's not some financial upside or some investment upside like it often is in gaming of course we want to make it fun as well well then like is there a social aspect and it's like into central and there's probably 12 people a day that are visiting you know probably less now um and so what are the experiences that are going to push it over the edge and what can't you do in a non-nft digital world like a you know roblox or whatever it is that you can do in decentraland and right now yeah that's there's just question. not very strong answer yeah um you know what's interesting though like so I think we chatted about this on Curator Five about like you know the apes uh, launching the the game and like how yeah. it, it it brought gamers in, and I've always been like so impressed with the Yuga founders like because um, totally it's I never thought about it like I don't know if they did it on purpose or not by the way but 
I think it's super smart to let gamers come in and make money because then they're like, oh, there's money to be made in NFTs. It's like, you know, and then it goes in the gaming community, probably, blah, blah, blah. Some guy made 1.6 million, brings more people in. Um, but execution has been so top-notch with respect to that. Like, I never thought that would be possible, right? Or that they would think, I don't know if they were or not, but assume they were thinking that that far. I wonder what they are thinking with the metaverse because, or what their other deed, I guess. Because... Uh, yeah. They've always thought very creatively, which has been very interesting. Yeah, and I think, you know, with a lot of their um, kind of, I'd say their thesis or their kind of reason to be being, you know, creating fun ways to, like, bring people into the ecosystem, like, I think that they are, like, really prioritizing ease and fun and trying to make it a very seamless Web3 integration. A crazy thing that stood out to me, well... Um, I don't know if you saw, you know, the ecosystem grew by 40% with like, that's, that's Crazy. so, like, that's so successful. And Mongrel, the kid, and I call him a kid because he is 18. So he's actually a kid uh, who won, um, who had the highest score. Um, he just, obviously he just sold his key the other day for yeah. $1.6 million. It's the third highest esports winning of all time. $1.6 million. Oh, wow. So wow. what that means is, um, and I wrote these, yeah, so he 2X'd his um, four years playing professionally professionally Fortnite, which he made $706,000 US. Now, these are for his winnings. This isn't sponsorship. This isn't social media. This is yeah, just yeah. competing in esports tournament. He made $706,000 in the last four years. For most normal people, for a normal 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old, wow. unbelievable. For yeah. the top, at, like literally the top, person in the world at his craft being Fortnite, which is wildly competitive. The fact that he just two X'd his winnings with yeah. one single game yeah. um, that he played, you know, obviously he spent his whole life perfecting his craft in which he's able to execute at a world level to then make this $1.6 million purse. Um, how are those stats not the biggest onboarding ever for Web2 gamers? That's amazing. That's yep. it. Like, that's all you kind of need to know that Mongrel within a two, two week period of playing this game and then selling it again for 1.6 million Forex just four years worth of work. Yeah, but that's the question, right? The, the question is, did did Yuga like, you know, go out to gamers or somebody from the community and, you know, tell them about it? Did people just like, did they expect that people would do that generally where they would go and find gamers and split the profits? Um Either way, I think that's that's the whole execution play right there, right? It's all at the end yeah. of the day. This is how you execute on a product, right? Uh, totally. which, whatever way it happened, that's genius in my opinion, right? And I wonder yeah. how are they thinking about that with other with other deed because kind of what we talked about with with metaverse and the land right now, it's 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 an execution play. Like, no, why are we there, right? For money, yeah. sure, but why, right? Like, mm -hmm. and then also like even socially, like in the past, it's been tried and tested, and a lot of people unless it's the younger people who are at home and like, you know, kids who are trying to make friends because now they're, it's changing now. I get that part. But for most people, we've tried in the back, in the past, we've tried like the, uh, the what, what it was called, the second life and all that kind of stuff. And it didn't really work, right? So it's, I, I'm, I'm wondering how, what, how would they execute this? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think, you know, one of the things that they, what I, I feel confident in and what I feel like has given um, most successful NFT projects, the real legs is that they're give you if they're giving users infinite choices or really like a lot of choices to fit 
people's comfort zones or to fit what they're interested in. If people just want to be investors and hold their board ape and not play and not get involved, okay, you can play once and you still qualify for the key. Done. Okay, great. Don't need to don't need to engage. You still get upside. You're good. But then they present these really other fun choices that often result in social connection, which can result in social media clout, all of it. Um, and those choices being, okay, you can play yourself, you can get drawn into the game, or you can, you know, strategically kind of go into the discord, find someone to play for you, delegate your wallet, delegate your key. So they're giving these kind of layer choices that I think, yeah. and of course, on top of that, there's the Very assumption well that the, the product is good, you know, yeah. that that's fun, yeah. you know? So of course that's the assumption and they have continued to execute, but kind of like creating these deeper vertical fan communities in which people can come in and slot in where they feel comfortable. And that's, I think, the beauty of Web3 in general. It's just like, if you can create choices, you can get holders, investors, owners of these NFTs to be really happy and you can create a bunch of choices um, so everyone can feel like they're seen and heard or most people um, and still um, profit and still get upside. So this is such a good question uh, because... Um... I am a, like, you know, we talked about this uh, pre-show, like we're, like, you know, big holders of Moonbirds and Proof. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and my thesis was buying in because, you know, Kevin Rose is a founder, right? Like he's been a startup founder for so many years. Um, let's call it like his, um, his like, you know, just like his, like, you know, commitment and whatnot, right? But, but totally. I'm actually now, but now I'm starting to think really, I just feel like maybe you guys are far apart in this ecosystem because they can think more of a Web three perspective. Because I've, you know, and I think that's what problem what I'm we're seeing right now with with uh, with the proof and Moonbirds with like the execution. It's just like I think people are doubting is is the ex execution there? Can they execute as a Web three team? And I'm actually for the first time I'm like really thinking about it. I'm like I don't know. It's fascinating. Has the thing that's pushed you? I have to ask the question to you now about this. Yeah. Has yeah. the thing that's kind of pushed you over the edge around that has it been the kind of i say this kindly the whole conference debacle of them no, not selling no, tickets no. or where no. where has the what where was the main like push you over the edge of uh, the questioning yeah i think it's you guy in the gaming like i it really okay uh, so it's the, it really oh, it's hit the comparing. me yeah it really hit me i'm like man like to be able to execute in these conditions you gotta think like a web3 founder right like you cannot think like a web2 founder right and, yeah. and 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 I, I'm I'm just been surprised with Yuga because I I you know I I I thought about it and I dumped my ape a while back because I'm like man these prices are so crazy you know this is like not you know like I I I don't think that other projects are valued low I I thought always think that the example like the Moonbirds and the Doodles and whatnot I think they're valued right I think the the apes and these ones are valued too high that was my my pre yeah um you know thinking right and and now that I'm thinking about it I'm like oh maybe I'm wrong because. How are they able to keep up those prices? Like eighty ETH in a, this market or seventy ETH is a lot of money, right? Wow. And, yeah. Right, and so people are not selling, which kind of tells me, which kind of makes me go. At, at some point, I thought the price would correct, like you know, like how yeah. it's correcting for Doodles and Moonbirds. I thought it would correct for Yuga too, but they're just able to execute um, so differently in a Web three um, setting, like with, with that mindset, like this gaming thing, like bringing gamers in and make and delegating letting gamers make the money because again as an investor i'm not a gamer i'm not gonna go game right so it's it's Absolutely. like yeah I'll, yeah you. i'll get my key i'll sell my key cool to eat but is it worth holding yeah. 80 ETH worth asset for two ETH gains probably not yeah. so you but but what yeah. they did is just genius 
And and so now I'm thinking with every other project, I'm like, do they have it in them to it to execute it like a Web three company? And and, and like I love Kevin what Rose. Do you don't think, get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Just to to is what do you think the big differences are between thinking like a Web two founder versus thinking like a Web three founder? Ooh, that's a hard question. Um, I think, in my opinion, you, I, I think people who got in, um, pre, pre, like early days, and not mm-hmm. with instead of money, just like creativity, right? Yeah, it's probably one big thing. Like, why would you get in a, in, a, in an asset class when, uh, when there's when there's no money to be made? Like, if you ha- like, like, like someone like Snowfro and like Tyler Hobbs or whatever, they've been doing this for so long without money. Right, like yeah. you need you need conviction to be able to do that, right? Years okay. without making any money, or a lot of these artists, that makes sense to me, right? Because you okay. got in for the right reason, so you are thinking differently because you believe something would be something would come out here, right? But okay. but uh, yeah, like that's one part of it. Um, I still think that a lot of these founders need to know how to build companies. Like, right, if you haven't built a company in the past, it, it's hard. It's like you know. If, even if knowing all like ninety nine percent of startups fail, probably more than that, right? And it's it's hard it's hard to execute. So that's another part of it. So you just in general know that most of them are gonna fail, right? So you need that conviction, make experience built with Web three thinking. So it's already all pretty hard. I think another part I would say is like technology, like understanding that to the core and and like this yeah. and building creativity and whatnot. But like, yeah, I don't know. But I'm I'm just like I'm, I'm thinking differently now. Is all I'm saying. I, like I'm, I read yeah. something recently, which I, I, th- I think makes sense. It's like Web two founders, your everything is behind closed doors, private, tight lipped, and like Web three, it's much more transparent and open and collaborating. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a one good, yeah. one good way to put it. Yeah, uh, one uh, interesting uh, interesting uh, example would be so think about what they're doing with high rise and like, or at least what's been told to us, like the artist profile, right? At first, yeah. like this is like for sixteen months or whatever, right? When I when I saw or whatever, like twelve months. When I saw that, I'm like, that's amazing because we need a bulletin board where all the artists are there and blah, blah, blah. So a I thought it was a great idea. And then I thought about it yesterday. I'm like, it's a great idea in the Web 2 world, but is it a great idea in the Web 3 world? Right? Like, makes sense. It's a great idea, but I'm but I'm putting my Web 2 cap on. I'm saying it's a great idea because I want everything at one place, blah, blah, blah. Yes. And sure, artists can talk to the fans. But why do we need Web 3 for that? <laughs> right? Like, like right. It, And what's yeah. the difference maker there when we have kind of all these other web two platforms, i.e. Twitter, that artists can do that with yeah, anyway. Or, or you can build a website where you have like all the artist profiles, yeah. right? Why do you need yeah, yeah, web yeah, yeah. right? And I'm, I'm not trying to yeah. hate on it. I think it's a smart idea. We need yeah. that in the ecosystem. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just trying to say like, yeah. this thinking like that make, made me go, holy fuck. Like even my own thinking, my own, uh, you know, how I am thinking about it, I need to change that because I'm like, I'm thinking too from a web two world right now too, right? Uh, and it's because I'm a web two startup founder, right? So I'm like, yeah. I wonder how hard that transition is if you if you if you have been building. So this is a fascinating thing in my head right now. I'm like, if you have been building in Web two, how hard is it to transition to Web three startup founder mentality? And two, if you okay. haven't been building in Web two, where you might have more of a creative Web three startup uh, mentality, it's hard to execute because you don't have experience. So this is fine. Yeah. It's like a both sides of the coin there, I guess. I totally agree, and I think that's like where you get these like holy grail people that have both and are able and and the thing is about kevin rose is he he seems like he could have both of those things the web to um experience and the real real knowledge of what it means to build a company and to market and to brand and to 
take investor funds and all the things that's that seemingly really bogged down Web3 founders where there's a lot of in, like as Web3 as we could be, there's a lot of intense like paperwork and just people issues that come along with building any company, no matter what. Um, so it's it's interesting because, yeah, he, he seemingly does have that hybrid and I'm not saying he doesn't because I think yep. everything that he's created is incredible. And I, I love everything he's doing, particularly around the art side. I mean, you guys are for fast holders, but I mean, I'm just I love the way he's championing an artist and he seemed so genuinely committed to that and the believer yep. in art. So I think he should really continue to play into that, which they're doing, which they genuinely yep. are doing. Uh, but then, you know, you get into trouble when you when you've raised, you know, 50 million at a massive, you know, it just it gets the, the one, two things get the web three things into trouble. Yeah, which is also interesting, by the way. I think there's another <laughs> angle to it as well. And I saw this with Gary V and, and, and with and with uh, Kevin Rose probably as well, where yeah. the challenge is that it was so hyped in the bull market that it exactly. went so up that people's expectations mm-hmm. are so high. And mm-hmm. now it's like so hard because I they are building like you can see them really like really putting in the work and doing everything they can do, but people are yeah, so yeah. used to those valuations and 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 it's so hard to keep up with that. And I think they're f- finally feeling that pain now because they're like we've been doing everything we oh. can and people are bringing mm-hmm. us down and that's that's not easy for a founder. Like you 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 want to you want clear mind you want to build you don't want people like just pulling your leg all the time. That's very hard. So I read the article that you um. Co-author that you were a guest author on overpriced JPEGs about fashion yeah. and the metaverse. Oh, so I take it you're geez. also you're also like kind of like an expert in the whole like digital wearables and fashion type of niche niche and NFTs. So like to, I mean so I guess for people who didn't read the article, Blake basically was breaking down how in the fashion world you have like the recurring, for example, fashion weeks. Everyone follows the same mold and shows all the, you know everything they're doing, and then how LVMH and Gucci kind of broke away from that mold to do their own events. And along with that, they had a, a larger like Web3 digital presence and experimented more. And ultimately from that, they have, they're have they targeting the, the younger demographic and are much more successful among younger, younger folks in Gen Z. Is that a correct overview of the article? Yeah, I mean, it was it was really fun to write. Um, Carly's a friend of mine, and she's been so supportive of me uh, with everything. Carly, the host of Overpriced JPEG, and the, the the founder of the company. But um, you know, she she said, you know, you can write about anything, and I was like, well, if I can write about fashion, then I certainly will. Uh, my certainly um, a love of mine, just in my real life. So um, it it's hard for me to not bring it over into the investing side too. What I've been shocked about is really the the kind of argument or what I tried to put forth in the article is how incredible Gucci has been uh, around their kind of digital marketing strategy in ways that aren't just, hey, let's get more likes on Twitter. Hey, let's ramp up and do like interesting Instagram cross promotions. These are people that so understand what Gen Alpha, you know, kids under 12 and, and Gen Z being. 25 and under uh, where they're spending time and what they're caring about so some of the things the reason that i really wanted to write the article is because uh, i saw that gucci had uh, um, had sponsored an esports team and i thought okay super like wouldn't think gucci would do an esports team and i love gucci i'm a i'm an odored buyer of of gucci so i just love the brand too and um and so 
um, I was like, okay, let me dig more into that. And then um, obviously another thing that really stood out to me was in their Roblox activation um, in 2021, um, they were selling these digital handbags in which one of them actually sold for about $4,500, which is about $1,000 more than you could go to the store and buy the actual Gucci handbag for. And I was like, okay, these are things that I really need to look into. And I don't think enough people know about this. So it was really fun for me to be able to research and just see how brilliant Gucci's strategy is. They've done activations in Pokemon Go. They've done activations in a bunch in Roblox. Um, they've done stuff in Animal Crossing. And how is a brand that's a heritage brand um, in Italy able to be so digitally forward thinking? Um and compared to like they really compared to uh louis vuitton compared to prada compared which you know are obviously amazing brands in and of itself but gucci is way ahead of the pack in terms of the activations they've been doing um i think a lot of it is down to their like amazing creative director um alessandro michelle he unfortunately just left the brand in december um but he's been a real visionary in terms of revamping that brand um and not and 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 not being afraid. Um, also, their collaboration with 10KTF, amazing. Um, so the way that they've been able to hit different segments. Okay, so you have you know Roblox, which um, you know 30 percent of their users are from twelve or eight to twelve. So you have activations for eight to twelve year olds, and then you have you know this very exclusive collection in 10KTF where it's people that only the only people that are allowed to access this are people who own apes moonbirds world of women um forgotten rune wizards called like very exclusive pfps so you they've been able to like really man this digital strategy moving into web3 moving into just metaverse in general being you know these ugc um worlds being like a roblox um and and ar with with really interesting innovation so they've just been so impressive in terms of their uptake in digital technology which you just wouldn't expect from such a historic brand um so i just thought it was important to tell people kind of how amazing they are because you know most people just wouldn't think that yeah can you quickly expand a little bit on that like on the 10ktf thing yeah. I, I, I saw you talk yeah. about it on, on overpriced jpegs um yeah like um it'd be cool to know a little bit what's your why do you think it's such a great uh partnership yeah yeah, one of I will say I'm biased. I love NKTF. I minted the fuck. So, so I did. I'll tell you this. I did mint the first 10 KTF stuff. Um, I just loved it right from the beginning. Um, basically, the things that you need to know, I would say, um, as a listener, would be um, really the only things you need to know: founders, people, and Gaio Siri. So, yes. people, obviously, we all know Gaio Siri, the manager of U2, the manager of Madonna. Um, the manager of Board Apes. Yep. Um, so we're talking like literally the heaviest hitters uh, in in entertainment. He's the manager for. Um, and then, so I love the management team uh, in terms of their connections, in terms of their vision, in terms of like how experienced they are, both within the NFT world and in the entertainment world. Um, so I love that. Um, and then Hugo acquired them um, about six months ago. Now, my thesis has continued to be proven right, and I get stronger on the thesis of you can't bet against Yuga. Um, they are, that's why I'm like, Nibits have to have something coming soon. Yeah. That's, that's a thought that yeah. I have. But yeah. um, 
It's the cheapest entry into the Yuga, eco- Yuga ecosystem, 10KTF. Now, one of the, I don't know if this is a downside, but this is a consideration that it is uh, hard to understand the entire world and where all of the pieces and NFTs fit together. But there's the, the lore is that there's this digital craftsman named Wagmi San in this digital world called New Tokyo. And he's getting faced with these like really scary toads that are coming to like get him. Like there's like a mafia story. It's a whole thing. Um, now, I think the lore is really fun. I think they're some of the first people to really make you stake your object. And then you get these little badges and rewards uh, for um, staking. So you were getting um, drawn into the story and really like through staking and i think that they were one of the first projects to really build storytelling into staking um so i love that and in terms of an investment opportunity i think there's a lot of alpha in understanding the 10ktf ecosystem and making the right plays within it in it because i still think it's undervalued um that's certainly one of the i love the g tag that's my favorite thing in terms of entry into it um i don't know what they're at now um, but apparently the rumor is that they're going to be um, turned into PFPs that Beeple might design. So if you can get a Beeple design for under one ETH, I'm buying. Of, a lot of good alpha yep. was just uh, wow. drops. Oh, I hope so. Which, I, I want to Which everyone could, would be able to find that. It's just a good research. Like, like you said, you like to exactly. like, do. Yeah. Totally. So I love, I love what they're doing. And uh, I think that, um, again, partnering with Gucci, I'm like, that's, that's Gaio Siri, obviously having connections to Yuga, being in the yep. fashion and entertainment world, and that speaks again to, to Gucci's wherewithal to Very do cool. that partnership. Yes, I have, a, I have another question. Going based, go back to your article and like Gucci and some of these and the ambitions of some of these companies. So, yeah. it, actually, in a month from now, or I guess it's already March, so later this month, it's the second annual Decentraland Metaverse Fashion Week. And last year and this year, there's you know, real big, big names, real fashion names. But again, going back, I remember last year I went to like the main events, you know, of, of Metaverse Fashion Week. And again, there's like 25 people. Yeah. But then reading, I think in your article, I, I, I think it said, well, like some of these companies being smart, smart about it. Like in their stores, they're live streaming, for example, you know, something with the Met with Central and or any kind of like Metaverse and vice versa. Okay. So do you see these brands kind of, are they, do you, I don't know if you know or, or how you're thinking about it. Like, does Gucci and the LVMH of the world, do they see like, okay, like in 18 months, like you said, like there will be an audience in Decentraland who wants to buy Gucci wearables or is it more going back to just market, more of a marketing play to get okay. younger, um, more younger audience or an audience who isn't necessarily so like into fashion right now? I think that's a good question. I think... Um I uh, I think that right now, uh, I think they all see it. And I know with all the reports that I've been reading about digital fashion, particularly with the CMO of Gucci, that they do see this as a revenue generator. I don't think they see it as a revenue generator right now because right. it's just, again, we're talking about infrastructure. We're talking about onboarding. There's just not a lot of ways to apply your digital wearables. But what I think it does and what you have to do as a brand now is being able to draw your IRL physical audience and, you know, the physical clothing into the digital. So it, it has to be both right now. 
Um, it can't just be kind of singular as digital mm-hmm. items. As like, I mean, Gucci has done and then they've been incredibly successful. But I think that they're at a, such a high level of executions that for brands entering the space, though, you need to you need to pull in a physical capsule collection. You need to pull in that live streaming to your five flagship stores around the world. Um, you have to make it an event that is not just come to Decentraland with the other 24 people and watch the show. There needs to be a live stream on Twitter. There needs to be an event in Milan that, you know, an influencer dinner. There there has to be a lot more put into it on that education piece because you can't just expect people to, to unless you're marketing directly to Web3 um, people, but even that, um, there still needs no. to be that education piece and pulling people in, I think. Makes sense. Um, okay. Out of curiosity, what do you think? Uh, I've always been curious about this. I don't understand it. Uh, talking about fashion, what do you think G Money is doing with Prada? Like, what's that? What What do you as as a call it as an influencer as a visionary in that in that ecosystem? Right. I, I don't understand yeah. what he's what's the longer term vision. Do you, by chance, know what what how is he approaching that? Hey, buddy, I just had G on my podcast a couple of weeks okay. ago. Um right. and what, uh, what yeah, yes, yeah. So um, I think um, I'm such a fan of him. His he's so kind and he's so lovely. Um, and uh, I think everything the way that he is kind of I don't know exactly what he's doing with Prada. Um, yeah. but I think that Prada needs him. Everyone needs him, and the way that he's thinking through defining luxury in a specific Web three way. Um. Right. I think that there's so much space for that to be forged. And I think G is doing that in a really thoughtful, nuanced, very Web3 native way. He was, you know, his product 90CC, which I'm a holder of, you know, I I have the t-shirts and I love them, but it's a way to signal that you're a crypto native, like without wearing you know, but still in a luxury way. So, you know, obviously a lot of crypto people, they've made a lot of money, obviously lost a lot of money, but they can go into Dior or Louis or Gucci and buy a beautiful shirt. But how do you signal that you're actually in crypto to the people that you want to signal that? Um, and that's kind of one of the ways that he's solving that through his product. And then, you know, he's creating this term network product. So these shirts, you can tap, you can actually get my PO app. If you see me, you can come up to me you can get a PO up. We're immediately connected. So it's signaling these. He's created this product that signals high value connections that you just can't do like on a LinkedIn or on a Twitter DM. So I think a Prada is watching that and watching what he's doing um, because he's a luxury consumer himself. And they're saying, hey, how can we kind of work with that? Um, what can we do around that? I just think that he is a real pioneer around all this stuff and is thinking about it real, like really thoughtfully. Uh, Ferocious was also sitting front row at Prada. Um, so, you know, maybe it's a collab. Maybe yeah. it's just advising. But I think what I love is that they're actually not jumping in and they're just kind of inviting these big influencers and really thoughtful crypto people into the world and figuring it out and having these conversations and not just creating a product. Because um, I think a lot of times it, it does need to be thought out and, and it takes yeah. time. Yeah, I think one thing that I always uh, I've been trying to do more of is you know trying to think of these um, call it like trailblazers in in specific niche, right? Like yeah. whether it's money with fashion, you see mm-hmm. like you know we talked about BYC and gamers. Um, like I'm like you know, Ivan's doing a lot in Moonpay and BYC and whatnot, yeah. right? So I'm trying to think about totally. it, and I'm like, I'm like, I wonder what 
they how are they thinking right like uh, it's no profit not blocks like where the level where they're they're at and how are they predicting the future and um and i'm sure like so uh, you know i'm I'm very curious about it and i, I don't know I, I have no comments on g money i don't know anything i'm just like whatever i'm seeing on social media right but what you said there i don't know i i necessarily i, I don't know I, I don't know if i agree with those things because i think if it's going after um if it's going after high-end people if 90 cc is that, that brand I don't think the high-end people, because they're so status-driven, they're going to go and scan their phone for POAPs out of their okay. clothes. I don't see that happening personally, if that's if that's the thing. Um, and the second thing you talked about is like, you know, signaling you're in crypto. I get that, but then at that point, it's the clothing brand, right? So we have two clothing brand, which is like, you know, I can wear any t-shirt for crypto and you know what I mean? And signal that. I'm just wondering like what, I don't know the answer to so why I'm asking this question about Prada, because I'm just wondering where is his mind at in that? Like, what does the future in his mind look like in the fashion space where you know, peasants like myself can think of. Uh, so I'm trying to like get to that level. Uh, I don't know if you think, if you can, if you have thoughts on that or, yeah. I, I will say that certainly in, in you know, at, at Art Basel in Miami, everyone was scanning everyone's 90cc and it became this whole way to meet people. It was really genuine. Now I understand applied outside that to, you know, a, a, a diff- in a different context where it's a general luxury brand. But yep. certainly the way that I was interacting with people wearing 90cc shirts, it had it was something I'd actually never seen before mm, um, it, on the social aspect. And uh, we, we talked about that. Like, it was really special. Um, sure. I think that G-Money's way that he's used POAPs, no one's ever done as well as him. Um, he's been brilliant in his, in his understanding and utilization of that. Um, so... Um, it, Again, it's very specific Web three way. Interesting. Uh, but, yes. So, yeah. so, so, so example of that would be, let's say, a future community, let's say a Reddit community, like random example here. Well, friends, they they kind of go and do that. Yeah, I can see that happen. So, when I thought when I thought you were talking about that, I thought you were talking about more of like a like a bigger brand kind of thing, like a high status right. brand. And I just don't see people yeah. with high status doing yes. that. But I totally see totally. Yeah, I totally see like people in communities doing that. Okay, I, I see where you're going with this now. Yeah, but in terms of, I think. There's so much room in fashion and, and a lot of it will be for the time being, because as we've talked about, the infrastructure and the central right. land or sandbox is this digital to physical um, relationship. I think there'll be a lot of upside, particularly around designer purses, just on the authenticity side. Yep. So if they have, if they have, um, um, you know, chips that you can scan and you can track. Now, these aren't perfect. These are not perfect solutions, but just another layer of comfort and support. If you are spending, you know, five grand or 50 grand on a handbag, if you, if there is that extra layer of authenticity, yep. particularly on the resale market, yeah. um, that's, that in itself is, is a really big deal because, you know, all these brands have massive issues with fake. Um, yeah. yep. so, so even just from a like strictly practical, um, yep. way, um, I, I think also, is is great, and also using that in digital. I don't know where how where would you showcase that in a digital environment. But when you do, that is like a status play right there, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And there's going to be, I think, a lot of um, a lot of stuff around like digital closets and what you yep. have personally that you you know exactly what you're yep. saying, right? Yep. Um, and it's just again getting the physical traditional world on board so then that you know but obviously the tools in web three have to be built kind of i think before web two will come um yeah. but they also can demand what they want and you know people will build it so i think 
you know, it's just, it's obvious. It's also, it's just like a personal love for me. So I, I, I mean, anything that's talking about Gucci or Prada or Louis, yeah. I'm like, let's just talk all day about it. But I think there is genuinely, um, a lot of upside there. And actually another thing that I thought that was, is, is it's a branding mechanism. I think a, uh, a group like Hermé who, you know, they're a traditional, um, French luxury house. Their brand is not at all about being innovative. Their brand is about being classic. They just recently sued and won um, against a guy who made Meta Birkins their most famous handbag. Um, and it's like, that's kind of a bad look. The whole point, it goes against the entire ethos of Web3. But their brand is is not innovative. It's not forward thinking. And that's the whole point of buying a Birkin and investing 20000 30000 in a Birkin bag is you have this iconic classic bag that the most iconic classic women have worn throughout the years when compared to a Prada, a Gucci that have this very fashion forward pushing the limit. So they, they'll they want to be more embracing of this technology. So I think it will also be, you know, not all brands will do it, um, but yeah. I think if you want to be cutting edge um, in a fashion forward way, you will be demanded to do it. Yeah. And you know what's crazy, by the way? I totally, again, it's like that Web 2 versus Web 3 thinking. I totally yeah. get it from a Web 2 mentality like you know it's it's such a no-brainer if you if you like if there's a way like i mean sure like right now you see instagram doing it but like a better execution of that where people are in everyday people are like um showcasing their nfts which is like um which is a receipt but like gamified so that gamification of daily lives basically right and that's a huge status play because i mean all we do on instagram is like you know trying to like status games right so get that from a web 2 perspective but I just wonder what the Web three version of that would be, and I don't, I don't know yet. But I think there's gonna be something because, because I, my brain goes, it's such a no brainer, makes sense, human, human psychology, people would do that. But I think I'm not thinking different enough, so I, I feel like the execution might be totally different than just displaying on Instagram uh, the the digital receipts of gamification. I might be wrong, but it's kind of. Yeah. No, I love that. And I feel like I'm like, that's the founder and you speaking. You're like, how yeah. can I solve this? Like, where yeah. where is the opportunity here? Um, and I think it has to be wallet connected. There has to I, I think it will come down to like user experience around wallets. But the issue, like like how things can be connected to your wallet, um, but you can only choose strategically what you want to display and how you want to display it. I mean, but like, um, it's pretty easy though, right? Like, assume Apple partners with a wallet. Anywhere you go, you scan your yeah. app, your phone, you know, you, yeah. oh, sorry, any, anytime you, uh, my apologies, anytime you buy an NFT, Apple's connected to the wallet, yeah. you get the wallet, it shows on your, connected to your Instagram, it shows on Instagram, and then you can hide whichever ones, right? And display whichever ones. That's an easy, simplest, like, Web2 way of thinking about it, right? Again, the the question becomes, um, what is weird? How does the, ha- how does the, um, like, you know, like example, like uh, you can put a picture photo of your Lamborghini and it's like, it might be, it might be looked at as the douchey way, it might be looked at as cool, but depending on how you do it. Right. So it's like, what does the norm yeah. become? Like people don't put photos of, of like their food as much on into the feed, they put it in stories. Right. So what would that yeah. be that, that norm would be, which is, you know, it's okay with, uh, with the, with our society that, that will kind of decide as people use it. Right. So, but it's a very simple I thing that there that. would be some form of variation of that or like how you display that. In a in a simple Web two world, and it's wallet connected, blah blah blah, and maybe it's as yeah, simple as that. Yeah. But I wonder, I wonder what's the more immersive Web three, um, yeah, version of that. Like you know, like when we're talking about these, you talked about digital closet, fascinating yeah. concept, right? Like, is yeah. that gonna be more immersive? That is that idea. gonna be you open a closet, yeah. like you know, you know what I mean? And and so, 
that's an interesting and I one. Think, there. I uh, think like digital twins too, which is kind of a, a web two way of thinking, but there can be a lot of innovation that can take that to a whole new level where yep. when you buy um, an item of clothing, there's a lot to be solved and there's a lot to be thought of around that, but it's like your entire history or, you know, every item that you want to showcase there's a digital there's also the digital version of it and then what can you do with that digital version i really like this term post-purchase experience um which is to me it's like okay so what can i do with the garment okay yeah i can wear it get it okay but what are the other things that you can really kind of inject into a buying experience after you actually pay the money and I think there's like a lot of ways to innovate on that. I'd never heard the post-purchase like that term before. Um, but I love the idea of, okay, how can I innovate on that? And that's not just displaying something in a digital closet. That That's, you know, of course that's access. Of course that's airdrop. Uh, you know, of course that's all the stuff that we've seen, but there's so much more to do there. And I think all the luxury, like that's where like you could really push, push, push is, is is and that's what will make someone want to buy it won't just be purchase experience oh my gosh i went to the beautiful store and you know the the service was incredible but it's what you get afterwards too and that not and not just posting on instagram with you know your look makes sense so you had mentioned that you have your own podcast and when we spoke on on curated five i don't even think we realized that you were host of a podcast but i think it's fairly new so if you just want to you yeah. know, plug your podcast for a bit and speak oh, about sweet. it and how that's been for you. That would be awesome. Oh, yeah. that's fine. I mean, I'll tell you this. I was actually talking to my friends and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, um, these really nice people invited me onto the podcast. And it was the first podcast that I'd done bef- um, after I started my own. And I was like, I feel like I'm a better guest on podcasts because I have <laughs> my own now and I can practice on my own to be better on on um, other people. But um, I'm part of this organization called Boys Club. It's one of the... Um, I'm obviously biased because I love it. And, um, the co-founders are two of my dearest friends. Um, but you know, they started with this idea, um, you know, a year and a half ago, Hey, there's just not enough women and non-binary people in web three. How do we create a space where we can have fun, where it doesn't necessarily need to always be about the money and investing, but we can create options that um sit outside of that and show people the incredible kind of opportunities in web3 and what it really means and we can have people ask questions and we can have it can be cool and fun and you know we can talk about things that we care about um that aren't just bottom line so that was the real um purpose um dina and natasha the founders are real real visionaries incredible marketers incredible communicators incredible company builders they both built um successful companies before um and uh, so I, I've been with them since the beginning. Uh, you know, I, I, I knew them before, um, they started, um, boys club. Um, and they, they've been on me to have a podcast for a while and I've always felt too shy or overwhelmed to do it. And I thought, you know what, let's go for it. Um, it. and they were like, we, we want to really empower you. They have an incredible podcast themselves. It's really focused on building a DAO and building a company and what that looks like. And they're like, Hey, you know, you're an investor. You've been in the space for years. Can you give your own take on, you know, whatever you want? They really gave me the freedom to, to make it my own and make the podcast my own as they expand their, um, ever growing media empire that they've created. So I said, okay, let's do it. They're like, we'll produce it. You do whatever you want. Um, 
So it's called Context, Views on Crypto and Culture. Uh, and it's really about the cultural applications of crypto. Everything that I love, I'm an investor, but you know, it's about fashion, it's about sports, it's about music, um, it's about gaming, um, and it's about art, like the things that I genuinely um, love and I'm an active participant in. So um, bringing people on to talk about the major themes in crypto and really trying to contextualize um, different ways in which crypto is of incredible value and there's incredible use cases um, that are, again, just, okay, what are we investing in and why? Um, and uh, it's been really exciting. Obviously, you guys know it's a ton of work to start a podcast, yeah. but I've been able to connect and engage with a bunch of brilliant people. And I just want to kind of continue to have really interesting conversations about things that I um, care about, that other people care about, um, that I don't think are really getting talked about in the way that um, they they can be and expanded on in the way that they can be. Um, I think there are yeah. two things that really stand out. One is like, we've had, like, it's actually so crazy. You talked about the founders being great marketers. I would say the yeah. most, we have any women that we've had in the show, I said they're part of Voice Club and they love it. So uh, that means a lot to us. Yeah, it's it's amazing that no. like it's it's so crazy that Evan it's like has been on. Evan has been like on our biggest champion. We yeah. love her. I'm obsessed with her. She's yeah. my hero. So yeah, yeah. I know even on, like on. even on Curated Five, though we have, we have a bunch of yeah. uh, women on the show, and they just they've all amazing. said that, and it's so beautiful because that's like a tight knit community, right? You can tell yeah. uh, how many times we've heard that. Uh, second, I think I was gonna. You know, uh, I was gonna say this before because you were talking about research. You know, your prime strength being research, and 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 we were talking about that. You know, you don't like writing as much competitively, and you're more of a speaker, right? And yeah. and it's so cool because I was gonna ask you this question. I'm like, well, how? You know, it'd be it's interesting because if you are doing all this research, it'd be so helpful for people to put it out there. Yeah, and, and it's glad I'm glad that you're putting Which that. I should. In, yeah, but I should also put in, it like, out there written too. Yeah, but also yeah, in the I audio perspective as well, like. Yeah, but yeah. also in the audio uh, or video, whatever, like uh, perspective yeah. as well, because, um, yeah, some people, yeah, I don't like writing. I totally get it, right? It's like, I don't know how to talk. Uh, but yeah. uh, but it's so cool that you're doing all that and you're putting it out there for people. So I think it's, it's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really, uh, I'm really excited about kind of what what there is to, to create with it. Um, as you guys know, it's a, the podcasting world is, is a wild world, but uh, it's really, really fun and super rewarding. Yep. Uh, let me ask you a follow-up question on, on research. I think that'd be really helpful for a lot of people. Um, so I have this rule called the 20-hour rule. So, uh, and I do do it for more like a bigger niche than like uh, than like a specific sub-niche, I guess, right? So the example would be anytime something new comes, I spend 20 hours learning it, right? So, and just to kind of get, okay. get, get understanding it, right? And to the point, because I believe that um, most people in the world, um, if you actually just spend 20 hours on a skill, in my opinion, you are in the top 1% of any field in the world, if you actually do the math, right? Um, so, so um, example Mark. would be AI came out, I would spend 20 hours learning about AI, just basic level stuff, right? Nothing crazy. And then kind of learn, it's kind of get foundational stuff. Um, I'm very curious on how you approach research, how much time you spend, what's like your way of navigating through it. So we can take one simple example. We talked about fashion or whatever example you want to take. How did you... Or, Something as simple as even Web two comes like Roblox or like uh, or like you know uh, uh, or like gaming in Web two, it's something that obviously out of your comfort zone, something you haven't done or you don't play in, right? So how do you approach that? What's your structure like? How much time do you spend and so on? Yeah, I mean, I'll say like I come from you know 
my background is like an academic researcher. So it's certainly uh, something that I did for a really long time um, in, in my previous life, which is really just sitting and reading by yourself. Like that's, that's the, that's the gist of research as, as you both know. You're just kind of by yourself reading and taking in information. Yep. Um, but when I come across a new idea that I'm excited about, um, the first thing that I really want to do is try to participate in it if I can. So, um, if I see, um, so that even in an art historical sense, if I could look at an image, um, I want to do that first before I know, bef- like, let me try to experience it um before before i read anything about it so i can have like a really honest way that i'm interacting with it um so if i can have access to it i'll do that first um second it would be okay i i try to dive in and and find the experts if i if i can't play it like you know for the gucci roblox experience that was like two years ago so like i couldn't Mm -hmm. i can go into roblox and play around but i can't actually get in so watching YouTube videos of people playing that Gucci Roblox experience, which is exactly what I did. Okay, this is how you do it. Like, um, So try to have any primary sources that I can. Um, and then, you know, third, it's just reading. Like, I try to get as many stats as I can to market reports um, and uh, then try to take in different information in different contexts. So is there podcasts of the founder? Is there articles that they've written? Um, is there articles of people that I respect that have written about it? Is there stats that I trust? Um, but really trying to take in information from all different angles so that I can have more of like a, a, a dynamic way of thinking about it. Um, and certain things are going to be harder because I have certain biases, like the fact, which is, I think there, there's a lot of upside to that too. There's always going to be certain things that you like and you have to bring your biases into research. Um, but you know, in a web two gaming context where I don't have that much experience, I didn't grow up playing games. I grew up playing oh. basketball. So I didn't, I didn't play. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I, I wasn't doing this. This isn't inherent to me. So try to, try to do it now or watch other people do it so I can understand the experience. Um, but I think participation has always been super, super key to me. Um, and if you're not participating, particularly in crypto, yep. then you just can't learn. Yep. Do you get overwhelmed at any time? Because one thing I've, you know, I've started doing this uh, lately. So example, I would read, read like, you know, like uh, proofs, daily reports, right? Like yeah. example, NFT statistic, right? And they would talk about this artist has had this, you know, sale. And I'm like, I, I was I had this question. I'm like, why? Like, why did people like this particular artist, right? Or why mm-hmm. did this thing go um, so big, right? But then I get into it. It is so much going on, you know, like this. Yeah. I'm like, I get overwhelmed. Like, I don't, I can't be watching an hour long podcast about one artist's journey. It's it just not possible for me to do that. Right. Um, yeah. So how do you think about picking your battles in that way? Like, do you, are you like only focusing on one thing? Is that kind of how you go about it? Or like, yeah. How do you think about that? I think like that's a, such a good way of putting it is picking your battles. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. my goodness, like you're just, you're getting overwhelmed every second. So I think I really play into my strength. Um, right. So like, I'm not going to dive into Decentraland cause I'm like, I don't. It's too confusing. I'll follow Tyler on Twitter and I'll follow DCL Blogger. Right. And hopefully they'll tell me what I can about it. But um, in general, I won't spend my time on things. Now, if I think there's a real big gap and I say, okay, there was just, you know, $50 million in volume on Decentraland. Okay, maybe then, you know, maybe there's certain input that I'll that I'll see that I'll go, okay, 
you know what, I need to really genuinely up my skill. Yeah. Yeah. But in general, um, I'll be like, you know, art is my background. Um, I have a lot of built in understanding and inherent understanding of that because um, I love it. And in my free time, that's what I spend my, you know, my time doing in my free time. I spend my time with, you know, art, fashion, music, sports. Okay, cool. There's a lot of inherent learning that I have there that um, it's easier for me to intake that information because I don't need to calculate a lot of things. I already have like a, a such a high level of understanding. So taking in information around Web3, around the stuff that I already know a lot about um, is is really, and then just adding to my knowledge around that stuff. I think when it comes to artists, because there's so many, I think if I see an artist, you know, five times that and if I look at an artwork and I'm immediately drawn to it, okay, I'll look into it because I'm inspired by it. But yeah. if it's an artist that I'm like, okay, why again, asking question, oh, why that person? I might click on them, see their Twitter following very quickly, go through a couple of their works and then leave it at that, unless I continue to, to hear it yeah. and see it. But for so me, if no like, it's- So if no one like Grand Young is like crazy winning, you would be like, why is he, why is everyone talking about it so much? You kind of go and dig down deeper. Yeah. But if somebody like a one-off, yeah. this person had a big sale, you're like, okay, yeah. cool. I checked yeah. it out and moved on. Exactly. And I can't, I can't, I can't stay there forever yep. because again, it, it's, it's too much. Um, yep. and then, and then always trying to like play around and experiment with like all the different protocols or, you know, all the different projects that, um, are new. If I can take little bits out of my day to do, you know, look at certain things. Cause I think, you know, there's so much new information. You, 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 you're just, you're never, ever going to be on top of any of it, yep. but yep. trying to, and I like to read a lot. So if I'm on Twitter and clicking like a bu- like reading a bunch of different stuff all the time um, and then making my calls on what I think I really need to work to learn about. But podcasts are also a really big part. You know, when you're walking, when you're working out, when you're driving, yeah. whatever it is, you know, taking in information, which I guess just means that you're working all the time, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. in different ways. But yeah. I guess what is like your views on blur versus open sea and it's like the nft market share i guess battle you can call it that's going on yeah actually i, I want to add i want to add that question as yeah. well um and so i want to share my thoughts because I'm, I'm i don't know the answer to this but i'm I, i'm confused so i at one point i like the blur take on it which is like you know well the whole point of f3 is rewarding the you know the people up you know who are participating so i get that okay. you know building the community incentivizing them to trade on the on the platform on the other side, uh, you know, you can totally see that now everything is basically just like a, you know, it's like a become a degen play, right? So at that point, you're like, is it even like, like, are we even, do we even care about these assets or is it more like just a fun, you can make money, right? So that's kind of the weird uh, two sides of the coin. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer. I'd love to yeah, think, see how, how you think about it. Yeah, I mean, my, you know, as I said at the beginning, the reason that I got into and why I was so inspired by this technology is that it supported artists and it was able to protect them and it was able to pay them royalties in ways. It was just a technology that had never existed before and solved the questions that artists had been asking for so long and, and issues that they'd been struggling with for so long. So from an artist standpoint, I find it, it it's really, it's really, really tough. And I think that what it brings into question is just like, the values of collectors and if because i think that a lot of people um will continue to pay royalties and i hope that that's the case but i think um it really puts into question um you know what people value and why people are doing things um with this technology 
Um, so in that sense, I think it's really, really hard for artists. That's who I think it hits the heaviest. As most innovations do, it hits the kind of single creators the heaviest, um, which yeah. I think that's what um, this has done. Um, so I think that um, I, I think that that's really tough. I think it will open up niche marketplaces and the options to the importance to storytell on your marketplace, to add dynamic experiences on your marketplaces to really underscore that these assets are not just financial. Because as you said, what this what this kind of does is it strips everything and just says, okay, this is a financial asset. Then it yep. demands for the creators, it demands for the companies who are building gaming experiences, digital land experiences, to inject story, to inject more than just capital into these assets. Um, and that's where I think, you know, building personal marketplaces will be really, really important. And right. the power of storytelling will be so important um, because it plans these assets as just, you know, tradable JPEGs, which is also their beauty, the beauty of them. So right. I'm not saying that I'm just saying that it creates the demand and need for um, people to be uh, 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 product builders to be better um, and, and lean more into certain things. Um, and I think on, on the blur side, I mean, again, as I said, I'm not really a trader. Um, even in my fund, I don't trade very much. Um, and I mean, I think that, uh, you know, what this is incentivizing is liquidity. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen the stats. Most of the biggest trader, there's, there's 500 people basically trading on blur. There's still yeah. more people trading on open sea. Um, that clearly believe in creator royalties and or just don't know enough and aren't skilled enough to switch overs because they don't understand the whole interface of Blur. Um, but once the liquidity isn't incentivized and you're not getting rewarded by the with the token, I wonder. I wonder if people will stay. But 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 isn't but then on the other side of it, isn't the whole thing with OpenSea, you know, like is that the, the I mean the argument would be like why are they taking two point five percent cut, one, and two, yeah. like if I'm giving my valuable attention and time to this platform, why am I not getting rewarded? That's the whole point of F3, right? Like it's like money for attention, right? Um, so that's yeah. an interesting one where like, I agree with you entirely, yeah. but at the same time, the, I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. I'm trying to no, steal No, and that. I think it's a great point. No, right? I totally get it. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and, and I, think, yeah. I think they push the token model in a way that, you know, OpenSea, I mean, gaping holes in how they did not do that and how yeah. they've missed that. Um, yeah. So they'll need to be better too, certainly. Yeah. Um, and I think like the token economics and the token model, it's certainly, it, it's fantastic in the short term. I wonder if this is the optimal token model in the long term or medium term or, you know, outside of, you know, the, the very short time that, that this will be valuable. Um, but I, I totally hear your point that, you know, traders should, people should be rewarded for using a platform. That's the whole point of Web3. I don't know if either way is good, but certainly yep. both have pushed the other to innovate. Yep. And hopefully, like we need a lot more innovation desperately on marketplaces because I don't think either way is sustainable. Yeah, that's very well put. Yeah, and, and that's kind of where I'm. I'm, I'm not sure what the answer yeah. is, but it's like a yeah, yeah, interest. yeah. I guess I was su surprised to see OpenSea ultimately just remove the oh, royalties me recently. Me too. I really thought they were more of like champions of that, but I guess I, maybe that's just me being naive to you know their business and just 
it's the overall. I think they were know, probably feeling it. Everything. They were probably yeah, feeling just how like, much they were really feeling. Yeah, yeah. They, it they seemed very had, reactive, yeah. like yeah. not that thoughtful, really. Very no, but, reactive. But I, but I think like we don't know behind the scenes of the business model, right? I think they kept, they don't. probably saw a trend of like because if I mean it's an interesting question. Somebody said that the airdrop two, or the sorry the next uh, airdrop would be like Season could be eight months. Whatever. And if, if people yeah. keep on doing this for next six, eight months, the habits will be built and then you won't be really using OpenSea and then they might get actually yeah. get like, right? And, and so I'm, yeah. I'd see where like, as a business owner, as a business founder, yeah. they're probably, this was reactive, but they're probably feeling the heat right now is what's happening uh, totally. to be able to take that decision, right? Um, totally. I think they probably did some talking to you there. They were probably were like, really like, we're the, the, you know, the, the leader. And then all of a sudden this came yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's the like that's the awesome part. It's like yeah. that there is such opportunity for you know open there for Blur to to innovate, and that they have. I think it it shapes the NFT world to its core. Uh, yeah. But there within that, there's incredible opportunity, and and um, if that like you know OpenSea, yeah, like okay, you 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 did seem like you were kind of sitting behind. So let's see what you have for the next kind of six months and. And will behavior genuinely change? And will people move over to Blur? Um, yeah. You know, I think it'll be fascinating to to watch. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, last question before we get into rapid fire. This is something I actually just started asking people, not even in the podcast thing, I guess, but even in my personal life. So I'm actually really curious to ask this question. Um, so, what is one problem that you are um, facing, a hurdle, whatever it might be, in your like a professional life, so in in the you know in trading, and then also in your personal life. Interesting. I think I think genuinely, I could say that it's really about um, I mean, time management, which is an yeah. easy easy one. Um, but maybe more than that, the 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 I guess I think it's confidence, just in believing in my ideas and being able to communicate them clearly and standing by them, saying. Hey, this works for me. This is my thesis. This is this is what I believe to be true, and we're going to push for that. Being able to be confident enough to put my ideas out there, whether that's on Twitter, whether that's on your yeah. guys's podcast, on my own, and you know, and it's funny because you know I've been in this space for so long, and I still have my issues around. Oh well, like this person's ten times smarter than me, and they're. Like this an, much like more successful impo- like imposter syndrome kind of thing like where you totally, know you're amazing totally and, co- and comparing and it's yeah. like comparing is like the least productive most hurtful thing you can do for yourself and like professional personal it doesn't matter right um yeah. so i think i think just being like no actually my ideas also have value i'm open to challenges i'm open to critiques but i'm also and i'm open to pushing myself and learning um, uh, and making myself always better, but also acknowledging how far that I've come and that, you know, I, I have something to give. Uh, yeah. So so working, I think, on confidence in that way, continuing, because, you know, when you put yourself out there, like, on a podcast, you're like, oh, my God. Like, you know, you're you're out there for people to say, you know, things too. Obviously, people have been so kind and so open. But in general, you know, that's, I think, the thoughts that that come through come through my mind um yep. and i think you know on a on a on the personal side of things it's more like uh i'd say like time management how much because like you know work can take over everything you know research could be done 24 7 so what are the other things for me that um i can just like a kind of that can act as 
stress relief or not always be in that work mode and how to get out of it. I don't have answers to that yet, but yep. you know, as you start new endeavors, you there's just so much more energy. You're 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 because I'm becoming this new kind of business person with my own, you know, podcast and writing and all that stuff. And that takes a lot of personal energy to put forth to do and create. So um how can I how can I still just manage a little bit of time where I'm not working on like my quote unquote goals, you know? Yeah. You know it's so funny you say this because actually I feel those two things as well. Like uh, from the impulses yeah. and things and also yeah. like from personal things because I just love reading just like you and like watching stuff. And so yeah. a lot of times I have to like correct myself. I'm like I enjoy it, but it's also Am I getting stuck in this information porn, I guess? Because I'm like enjoying it, watching and listening and right, but then I'm not taking action, right? Exactly, and right, right. Yeah. And because it becomes and then addicting, you're not, right? Yeah, yeah, and then you're still, you're in your little bubble. And it's yeah. like, it's important too, a lot of times to get out of that bubble and not be taking in, because that, that leaves space to take in new stuff and, you know, relax your brain so that you can be more refreshed when you, you know you already taken that information. Yeah. It's amazing to hear how you have imposter syndrome really? being that, you know, you first academic articles ever yeah. have people calling you from all over the world and you oh, still feel that. Yeah. So I think that's just very all interesting. Point. Yeah, yeah. All the time. Awesome. Let's move <laughs> to rapid fire. Favorite PFP collection. Board apes. Which upcoming artist would you like to spotlight? Rip cash. Obsessed with him. Them. Anonymous. What teams are you the most bullish on? I'll say my own team. Um, we're building a game resurgence and I love the team. I love working with them and they're amazing. A legacy Web 2 brand that you would like to see in Web 3? Sephora. Favorite Twitter accounts? Boys Club. The best follow in the game. And I would say there's Liam Herberst, I think. Yeah. Uh, he's great. That's just the first two that come to mind. You actually had him. You actually had him on Career Five. He's a oh. he's good. Yep. Awesome. I just because I like I just read his tweet, so I'm like, Sovi also amazing. Laugh so so much around him. Yeah. Uh, most cringiest person in Web Three or team? Oh, um, no, there's so many, aren't there? I try to like stay away from all the like <laughs> toxic, crazy stuff. I mean, I like Beanie is the first person that comes to mind. I canceled now, but I'll say him too because like, he's he's the first person that comes to mind. Who would you like to hear speak and on what topic? To be honest, I'm always really interested in super successful women and how they deal with stress and how they deal with just like their own personal and family lives in the midst of having to often contend with. Um, working mostly with Ben. Um, so I'm always interested in any woman operating at a super high level. Um, the first, the, f- the funny, the, the first that comes to mind uh, immediately is would be like Serena Williams on talking about anything because I love her so much. Mm-hmm. So maybe her. Very interesting. Um, last one. One prediction for the end of 2023. One prediction for the end of 2023. So that is 10 months from now. Um, I think that we will see a some massive announcements of big Web two gaming um, companies convert. In, I mean, with the Meta, which we didn't get into, but the MetaMask announcement. Um, so, just big Web two games. 
adding in components of Web3, um, whether that's um, certain NFTs or token ecosystems. Uh, and we'll see some really big Web2 hires of big games um, come into um, and support Web3 games. Blake, that was amazing. Thank you for coming on the show. Where can people find you. you and your new project? Uh, people can find me on Twitter, uh, at Blake Finucan. Uh That's where you're going to be able to see everything uh, that I'm up to and everything that I'm working on. Amazing. Thanks, Blake. This channel is intended purely for educational purposes and does not constitute financial or tax advice. NFTs and all my crypto is green. I'm watching Gary V on TV. What do you mean? She wear Gucci and Louis, but her favorite Celine. My old school is old, but I keep that shit.